0: Peace be with you. Also be. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Moments after reading these words from this morning's reading from Isaiah. Leslie stopped by my office to talk about how we were going to respond to the ICE raids from the day before. I told her that I had not yet heard about the raids. She briefly described them, and I subsequently read about what happened around the state of Mississippi on Wednesday. With this knowledge, I sat in my office with the image of two of my children who were starting their first day of school on Thursday. When I pulled away from their schools on Thursday morning, I had a mix of emotions. I was excited for them, and a little bit anxious about how their day would go, and I was eager to return home and hear all about it. But after hearing this news, it was all I could do not to feel for the children who would get off the bus, eager to tell their parents about their first day of school, only to find an empty house. It was all I could do to feel for the children who would be waiting at school for a ride that wouldn't come. With all of these thoughts and many more swirling in my mind as I began to ponder standing in this space today. The clearest thought in my mind was, I can't not talk about this. So sitting with a lot of hazy thoughts, and only one clear one, I turned back to Isaiah chapter 1, the Old Testament reading appointed for today by the revised Common Lectionary. Isaiah does not mince words. He forcefully and perhaps antagonistically calls upon the people of God, addressing them as rulers of Sodom and people of Gomorrah. Isaiah groups all of the people of God who would hear from him those who have power, those who are capable of leading, and those who are just ordinary folks. He calls them rulers. Sodom, people of Gomorrah. Everyone hearing these words would have known that Sodom and Gomorrah were cities that had met the wrath of God and the form of the cities being consumed by fire. Many biblical writers refer to Sodom and Gomorrah, suggesting that their fate was well known. Ezekiel notes a short list of the sins of Sodom as having pride. Excess food and prosperous ease. But they did not aid the poor and needy. Those hearing these words would also have known that before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, Abraham bargained with God. Abraham dissuaded God from an outright immediate destruction. Abraham convinced God that if there were just ten righteous people in the cities that God would not destroy them. Since the cities were destroyed, it is safe to assume that not even ten were found. And this is how Isaiah addresses his listeners. It doesn't get much easier after that. Speaking on behalf of God, Isaiah says to the people of God, I'm not interested in your offerings. Your well-curated services of worship are meaningless. When you raise your hands in prayer, all I see is blood on your hands. It is the God who yearns to be reconciled with all of humanity who looks upon the people of God and says, If all you have to offer is one hour a week, then you have missed the point. It is the God who created the heavens and the earth and all who inhabit them who longs to draw near to all of humanity. As I read these words on Thursday morning, I pictured myself standing here. I pictured you all sitting there, and I imagined families separated, wondering when or if they would be together again. And in addition to being certain that this event was one about which I could not not talk found myself asking, what are we doing? What are we going to do? Thankfully, Isaiah does not stop here in chapter one. He continues in verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. I think Chuck Poole might sum this up by saying, We need to sit down with and stand up for the same people that Jesus would sit down with and stand up for. These words from Isaiah and from Chuck Poole have a strange way of seeming simultaneously incredibly simple and nearly impossible to figure out the who, what, when, where, and how. When we hear a story that 680 people in our state have been taken into custody with futures uncertain, it can be hard to know How to learn to do good. It can seem like the problem is too big or too complex. It can seem too political, too public. It can seem all of these things. But let me let you in on a little secret. The body of Christ is well equipped to handle this crisis. We know that all humans are created in the image of God. We know that the circle of Jesus' welcome can never be drawn big enough. And we know that we are a community of faith that is continuing to learn to do good. For 18 years, Northminster has been learning to do good in Mid-City, Folks seated in this room have found a way to use what they have to see the face of God in the eyes of those those whom they encounter there. People who are gathered to worship here have spent hours upon hours tutoring children, picking up trash, building houses, providing food, giving rides, attending city council meetings, Visiting prisons, buying clothes, celebrating life's most precious moments, and grieving life's most difficult moments. And our learning doesn't stop at Mid-City. There are people in this room who gather each week, people who seek out others who are connected to this community and find ways to pray for them to check in on them, to care for them. Sometimes it's calling, sometimes it's going to visit in the hospital, sometimes it's taking a meal, and sometimes it's just going to sit and talk for a while. There are still other people in this room who find creative ways to work among people in need as their job or as a volunteer. And other people here spend time praying for all the things that are happening. And we surely can't forget that there are people who are in this building but not in this room who are ensuring that we and the youngest of our family of faith can all worship this morning. In this family of faith, we don't always get it right. But we keep learning to do good. We keep learning what it means to seek Justice. We keep learning how to rescue the oppressed. We keep learning how to defend the orphan. We keep learning how to plead for the widow. We keep learning how to do good. In many ways, the needs that are now present in Canton and Morton and Forest and in some places a bit further away are very similar to opportunities with which we all have experience interacting. Some needs are specialized and some are not. But all the needs are very human. If you find yourself wondering, but what could I do in a crisis like this? Let me tell you. If you were a lawyer or a counselor if you speak Spanish or indigenous languages local to lands south of the American border, if you are capable of driving to Memphis or to New Orleans, if you can watch children, if you can clean or sort, if you can buy specific items from a list, if you can donate funds, if you can volunteer your time, if you can do any of these things, or if you know someone who can, then you can help. And if you find yourself thinking, I really want to help, but I just can't do it right now, no problem. The needs from this crisis are not going away anytime soon. They will be ongoing for some time. After the service today, Leslie and I will be standing in the narthex, where we will have some sheets of paper with more specific information about how you can be involved We'll leave information with the church office, and we'll provide it electronically to anyone who would like it. As you ponder the ways in which you might get involved, I'm afraid I must warn you of something. Learning to do good in this way, caring for those who are the most vulnerable in our midst, standing up for and sitting down with the same folks whom Jesus would stand up for and sit down with, it changes you. It makes you see the world differently. And it makes you want to find a way that the most vulnerable among us might no longer be vulnerable. It makes you want to join with Martin Luther King Jr., Who stood in the pulpit at Riverside Church in New York City and said, We are called to speak for the weak, for the voiceless, for the victims of our nation and for those it calls enemy. For no document from human hands can make these humans any less our brothers and sisters. Since the raids on Wednesday, something beautiful has happened. My horror and anger surrounding these raids have been soothed by the balm of seeing the body of Christ spring into action. People organizing, advocating, feeding, caring, loving, coming together and joining hands in solidarity, Southern Baptists and Catholics, Evangelicals and Unitarian Universalists, English-only speakers and non-English speakers. It has been a visual representation of Paul's image of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. Notably, Paul says in verse 26 that if any one member suffers, all suffer together with it. The suffering of those affected by the raids on Wednesday affects all of us. Many of us have friends, if not relatives, who live in one or more of those towns. We are all affected. Seeking justice. Rescuing the oppressed. Defending the orphan. Pleading for the widow. Learning to do good. Perhaps Paul had Isaiah 1 in mind when he wrote to the church at Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship, not burnt offerings, not blood, not even solemn assemblies, but a living sacrifice, a spiritual act of worship, learning to do good, amen. As we come to the close of this hour of worship, if there are decisions that anyone wishes to make for our Lord or our Lord's church, which are public in nature, please come forward during this time of response.